Welcome to today's episode of the Routing Table Podcast. My name is Rick and I'm here with my co-host Melchior. Hey Melchior. Hey Rick. Today we're going to talk about exciting technologies with multicast and video distribution again. Today's guest is Jake Holland. Hi Jake. Hi Rick. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, Jake is a principal architect uh, working at Akamai. And uh, Jake, for the listeners who don't know you, could you shortly introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, so I've been with Akamai for some time. I, I came in uh, with the FastSoft acquisition. I was with FastSoft, I think, for uh, six or seven years. Uh, so I used to work on TCP congestion control primarily, uh, but I, in recent years I've shifted over to uh, a focus on multicast. Uh, I've been working on multicast at IETF uh, for the last uh, three years or so. Um, I have several drafts in progress and one RFC completed, and I've been uh, talking to a bunch of ISPs about trying to make this happen for real. Uh, so that's kind of uh, what I'm here to talk about today. Yeah, excellent. Because uh, we've we've planned this episode for a long time, but but uh, it seems that it's going that it's a popular topic in our podcast series. So we, we did one before with uh, Lenny uh, regarding multicast to the grandma, which is of course a very specific implementation of multicast and how we can make it easier to uh, uh, to access for for all the networks that are not necessarily interconnected with multicast. Um, and then we have a very recent episode with uh, Matthew, uh, who was a bit, I would say, against multicast. And he's saying that we can solve everything that we need uh, regarding CDN and video streaming and stuff uh, with unicast. So maybe, uh, Jake, you've listened to the to the podcast of, of that we did with Matthew. What's your like initial response to that? I did. Thank you for sending that. I, you know, I was uh, I was eager to hear it because I'm always uh, I'm always interested when people have a, a critique of multicast. I'd like to, you know, make sure I'm not on a wrong path as best I can. <laughs> um, and that uh, uh, so I, I I did listen to it with interest. Um, I've found that although I don't disagree with most of his technical points, I thought it was very knowledgeable and and well informed about uh, a lot of things. Uh, my takeaway was that. Um, it, it really the points he raised are more an argument that you should do multicast the right way, not that you should not do multicast. Um, and the uh, you know I, I felt like there were a lot of points uh, not raised that were, in fact, the the problems he raised I, I did not think were the the most challenging problems with multicast. Um, so we can get into some of the ones that I'm trying to solve with. Uh, with the current specs and with the architecture that we've put forward at, uh, that we're trying to uh, evaluate you know, today at, at Akamai uh, in, in concert with, uh, with several ISP partners. And um, uh, we, you know, we also, uh, uh, although you know, he, he's absolutely right that there's a lot of stuff you can do with, with uh, caching and edge computing um, and you know, obviously at Akamai, we're, we're very well aware of that we uh, we we're not walking away from edge computing and caching, um, but it's hugely inefficient to be sending those same exact bits to everybody on the internet when you've got uh, or you know some appreciable portion of the people on the internet when you've got you know some of these major uh, distribution events, things like uh, OS 
uh, updates, you got the same exact bits have to get to, you know, a hundred million people. And it's, uh, although to some extent, if you pace it out, yeah, you can do that with, uh, with distributed caches and, and, uh, there are many things that, uh, that can help take that edge off. You really could do it much, much more efficiently, uh, by using multicast and the same argument holds for, um, a lot of the live video, uh, some of these game downloads that we're seeing that are just really enormous and, and in some cases have very large audiences. Um, you know, these, these, uh, events, especially the game downloads, uh, really make for, um, you know, some, some, uh, some pain due to, uh, sort of over subscription of, of networks. And the pain doesn't just affect the people that are trying to get those, uh, those large things downloaded, but it also affects other people who want to run their, their other traffic that competes with those things. Uh, you know, and these, these large peak events, um, and the, the just vast inefficiency in the way we do that delivery today, uh, the way everybody does that delivery today, uh, is something that we think we can address, uh, by doing multicast the right way. So that's kind of what I'm, hmm. what I'm, Trying to work on. Well, that, that's actually very interesting that you mention OS and game updates, as, as that is not, not necessarily a thing like a sports game that everybody watches at the same time. Uh, somebody may be clicking on the same button to download an update at the same time, but not 100 million at the same time. So, uh, how, how would that architecture work? Would you like use multicast to, distrib- to distribute that to caches that are local, or how, how would multicast uh, help in that? Yeah, so. Um, actually, uh, although multicast m- might be helpful sometimes with distributing to caches, that's not our biggest pain point. Uh, the real pain points come, uh, south of our caches. Like we have a lot of caches distributed pretty deep in a lot of networks. Um, but we cannot, uh, solve the congestion at the access layer. Right. So, um, and this is something that is very, very nicely addressable with multicast. Um, you know, when you have a cable loop or when you have a GPON access network, then um, uh, the the way that layer one technology works, it's possible to send packets. Uh, you know, you send a packet once out of a device, and that same uh, you know those same uh, you know you can call it electrical electrical fluctuations or optical fluctuations, you know, on that transport medium. Uh, those same things are are received by uh, by as many uh, receivers as have signed up as are are looking for it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's actually possible to you know reduce those number of bits on the wire um, all the way down at the access layer, which is something you cannot address with uh, with the deeper cache. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, there's no reason it can't also take load off of uh, off of backbones and uplinks from those uh, from those BNGs or the uh, or the uh, access devices themselves. Um, but that's not actually the the main driver for. Uh, well, it, there are many there are many drivers. Like it's inefficient in many different locations in the network to to do you know uh, single connections to every single end user. Uh, for the same content, but it's uh, but these access networks are something that you cannot solve uh, really with a deeper cache, and you can solve with multicast if you do it right. That's also what the discrepancy between Matthew's point of view is and and your point of view, saying all right, it's really the access or the, like the residential areas even that are oversubscribed and and are not or even like uh, 
in, in some parts of the world, they have like these wireless access providers where you just have Wi-Fi connections to, to the homes and stuff. Um, I think that's yeah, a more that, concern than, than really distributing the load throughout the internet. Yeah, that, that in, in many networks, that's certainly a, a major contributing factor. Although, it, you know, every network is different. So a lot of networks do have problems they want to solve uh, in the, you know, in their uh, uh, sort of in their backhaul in some sense. Um, but, uh, uh, and, and these also can, you know, depending how, how a ISP wants to deploy uh, the ingest for external multicast, uh, these also can be addressed, and you know I don't want to downplay that. But there are things, you know, in in many cases those could be solved by deploying, you know, more deep caching devices and just sending individual streams into that caching device and then sending uh, sending to end users from there. Um, but uh, there are, there are other problems that cannot be solved that way. Yeah. Jake, so, you uh, wrote uh, you wrote a blog earlier this year, uh, which is published on the APNIC website. And um, something I thought was interesting to read is a little bit about the uh, the actual sort of traffic numbers and, and numbers of downloads we're talking about. I think it would be interesting if you could share a little about that. Um, uh, the, the reason for asking is because I think. A lot of folks cannot re realize how much traffic we're actually talking about, and and um, and 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 how much uh, in in numbers of downloads. For example, the, the game downloads you mentioned, we're talking about. I think it would be sure. good to share some of that perspective to get a sort of an, an idea of the skill we're talking about. Yeah. So uh, you also might want to check the uh, the slides at the Nanog presentation. Um, however, on both of these points, there is one uh, error I made that I want to apologize for. I don't think it changes the qualitative uh, uh, conclusion to draw, but uh, but I I cited um, from uh, from YouTube uh, upload recommendations that a 4K video would be about 40 megabits per second. Uh, but in fact, if you look at their download recommendations and compare against uh, several other uh, several other distributors um, for 4K video, 20 megabits is probably a better estimate in most cases for 4K video for uh, for download. Um, I'm not exactly sure why the discrepancy, but I took 40 megabits and uh, and ran with it. But I should have gone with 20, and I want to just <laughs> sort of say that up front. Um, I hadn't realized until uh, until after the uh, the Apnic uh, blog post and the Nanog presentation, but um, nonetheless, uh, when you so uh, I guess the calculation that I did is uh, is I took the um, so Akamai fairly frequently publishes uh, you know a a new record traffic that we've observed. And this uh, this generally refers to traffic delivered to end users simultaneously, right? So, um, so earlier this year, the the latest uh, uh, statistic we had published was 167 terabits per second. Wow. Uh, so that's across <laughs> our entire platform, and that's delivered to end users all over the world, right? So that's aggregating all of that together. That's not into any individual network, but that's like uh, that's our overall platform now. 
that doesn't speak necessarily to how high is it possible for us to go. Uh, and of course, we we distribute. You know, we're, we're always rolling out new capacity, so that number generally goes up year over year. Uh, but you know, as of earlier this year, that was the number that that we had most recently published. Right. Okay. So if you if you just take 167 terabits per second and you say, okay, well, what can I do with that 167 terabits per second? Um, you know, there's a few different uh, ways to slice that, and and when you start looking at the if if you compare it against the uh, the size of the of the uh, sort of larger internet events, then you can really see that there's a major discrepancy. Um, so, for example, I I you know if you just take that 167 terabits per second, you say, okay, imagine we took all of our platform maximum we'd ever done, and we sent uh, you know a 4K stream. To as many people, you know, the same 4K stream to as many people as we possibly could. How many users could we support at the same time, right? So um, when you do that math, you know, you just divide the numbers out, and and you come up with. Uh, so I, I did it, of course, in the slides for the 40 megabits that I was mistakenly using, but of course you can double that. Um, and I think the number was uh, what did I come up with? Maybe uh, 4.2 million or so. Um, you know, so doubling that, of course, you get uh, 8.4 million or, or thereabouts. Um, but uh, it, you know, so there's a, a that's an upper bound on how much traffic Akamai uh, would have ever served in the past. Um, so you know, but if you think of like 8.2 million users at the same time, that's um, you know, the Super Bowl has 100 million users. Mm -hmm. uh, every single um, uh, cricket match in the last uh, Cricket World Cup that involved India had 300 million users uh, on the order of 300 million. It was somewhere between like uh, 250 million and, and 320 million uh, for each of like 10 cricket matches that, that were played that involved India uh, as they progressed through, uh, through their uh, uh, excellent run at the World Cup. Uh, if you look at the um, uh, you know the uh, Americans. So I'm going to say soccer. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, World Cup. The last soccer World Cup was uh, 500 million yeah. uh, users of football. If you prefer, I know. I know uh, a lot of uh, most of the rest of the world uh, would call that football. Um, <laughs> but 500 million users. So if you think of like 8.4 million users in that context, then it's uh, it's a very small slice of the total audience size. Uh, for these large events, um, but you can even think of it, uh, you know, in terms of like what's the audience size for um, typical primetime viewing, uh, uh, it, it, you know, the the sort of day to day primetime viewing events, and um, uh, I, you know, I, I think I just plotted the Nielsen uh, viewer size, uh, audience uh, size ratings for the different uh, for the different uh, videos that they tracked uh, for some, you know, one of the years that somebody had published all the all the numbers, mm -hmm. and um, it, you know, it's nowhere near the top ten percent, um, and it doesn't it doesn't improve it doesn't improve dramatically by by doubling that size, right? I did it with the with whatever my number was four point two or four point seven million, you know, whatever it was, and it was you know number 75 or something. And when you, you know, if you just look at that chart, you can sort of estimate, well, okay, maybe by doubling it, we can get up to like the 40th most popular show on TV. 
right? But you're not going to be able to deliver the most popular show on TV with with uh, even with uh, Akamai, which is one of the bigger CDNs uh, that exists today. Right? Yeah. Um, so uh, at least not in 4K. Obviously, you can you can get this by uh, reducing quality, um, but you know the the trend is actually the opposite direction, right? A lot of uh, you know, a lot of TV sets there are like, there's a bunch of t- TV sets have been being sold with 4k capability now for, uh, for several years and they're starting to sell 8k TV sets. And that's not just double the size. That's like four times the size. Right. So, um, you know, the, the, it's actually going the other direction here. Like we're going to need to, you know, if you tried to solve this just by deploying more cash footprint capability, then you'd be talking about a massive upgrade to, uh, a, you know, a massive rollout. Like you got to um, dramatically increase how many servers you're going to have to deploy uh, all over the place in order to be able to to serve that kind of traffic. And you know, you can get some of the way there by you know by deploying faster network cards. And uh, there are some tricks you could do. We could squeeze more, you know, more blood out of that stone. Um, but uh, but by switching to multicast, if we can switch to multicast, then we can solve not only that problem, but also the problem of the, uh, of the software downloads, which is again, a, a very large uh, problem. So I, I went through the same calculation, right? Take the 167 terabits uh, per second, you know, you, uh, you uh, examine like, well, let's, let's look at some of the popular games that are out there. Right. Um, you know, uh, I, I think I've I've done this with a few different games. Uh, the one that I did in the blog post, uh, I think I I think I pointed at Red Dead Redemption. Uh, I, I you know I just referred to a few uh, publicly reported stats for um, for what those uh, uh, what that looked like when that came out. That was like a year ago, right? Um, and uh, the typical file size for that download was 150 gigabytes, and you know the number of people who played that game, who downloaded that game, was 35 million people. And when you just multiply that number of bytes out together, and you divide it by the 167 terabits per second that it takes us, uh, that we could like potentially, if we chose to devote our entire platform to delivering that thing, it's going to take three days to ship that many bits, yeah. <laughs> right? And so, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> What are you going to do, right? Like you're trying to ship a game, everybody wants it on the same day when it comes out, right? I mean, most mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not quite that simple, but uh, but really, that's the scaling problem that I'm looking at, right? That's several orders of ma- or, or that's that's a, a what like one and a half orders of magnitude off of where it needs to be in order to solve this problem. <laughs> uh, so that's that's why I'm trying to address it with multicast. Yeah, I think that definitely sets some perspective <laughs> on, on what, what we're looking at. And that's not the only game, right? I mean, you, you think of like what does yeah. what happens with Fortnite? I mean, people complain about uh, you know when the Call of Duty comes out and their networks gets gets hammered. I mean, there's uh, you know it, it just search for like the troubles people have with some of this. It's uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I've been on, know. I've been on the other side working with a, a very large globally uh, distributed enterprise who used a lot of, um, uh, iPhones. And, um, so yeah, try to try to regulate your QoS, etc., for this new Apple update. Right. Um, uh, th- that was, yep, interesting yep. One there's well. an awful lot of iPhones out there. For yeah, sure. definitely. So, uh, yeah. 
So if you look at Multicast then as a solution for this, so what, uh, of course, we all have learned this in our, in our studies to becoming an engineer. And most of them, <laughs> most of people forgot it already again, because it's not used a lot in, in enterprise networks, especially, and, and, only, and even in service provider networks, even quite limited, I would say. So what, what has to change to, to, make, to make this happen? Yeah, there do have uh, there are some challenges for sure. It's uh, it's a uh, you know a new way of looking at things uh, for a lot of the networking folks, and it's also um, uh, there have to be changes on the application side. Um, so you know we've got prototypes uh, that that run this stuff. We haven't put any, anything into production yet, but we certainly have it running in lab. Um, so if I talk about the uh, the downloads first. Um, I mean, there there are some protocols that uh, that have tried to do this. It's essentially doing a reliable download by using multicast, and um, it's built on top of FEC. Um, so, and, and I should back this up a little bit and say that um, you know what we anticipate is that I mean we're going to be using Unicast for a long time to come uh, for a great variety of, of things, including downloading. Uh, even for for this popular content, much of it, it, you know, it's going to be available over Unicast for the foreseeable future. Um, the what you can do with it, though, is by by uh, you know plugging into the standards that we're that we're uh, working to publish now. Uh, you can take the load off of the network when these big events happen. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. But the we do assume that the Unicast will be available, and we use it for fallback. Uh, so that any place where the multicast is not working, then the download would still uh, operate and succeed by unicast. Um, you know, it's going to try multicast and prefer multicast when it's available, but it will be using unicast uh, to to do the downloads. So, um, you know, there has to be some logic on the receive side. So that logic on the receive side would, uh, you know. It'll be uh, it'll be different for the different um, for the different use cases. Like video is going to be uh, a little bit a little bit different from uh, from downloading. Um, but what they have in common is that they'll just be issuing a join for the uh, for the SG. Uh, you know, based on um, uh, based on logic that happens inside something that understands. The way it's it's going to be sent, so it's something that has to be uh, related between the server and the receiver, right? or the sender and the receiver. Um, so whoever's doing that sending has to encode it in the way that they've distributed receivers that are going to try to receive it uh, in the way that they understand, right? Um, so uh, I guess the if you want to understand the protocol that's that's happening, I would recommend trying to get your head around Flute and ALC. Uh, these are there are some RFCs published um, for Flute. I think that's uh, uh, file unidirectional transfer or something. Um, you know what it what it does is it builds on top of FEC so that uh, this is sort of using a, a, a linear algebra to um, to make it so that you can do a a transfer of data even though some of the data might be mm-hmm. lost along the way, right? Mm-hmm. So the trick is that, you know, it, it's, it's built on the same principles of like, if you have three equations and three unknowns, then by solving the three equations, you can find your three unknowns, right? Well, um, if you have your three unknowns 
then you can generate basically as many equations as you want. And what you need is to get any three of those equations, and then you can reproduce your three unknowns. Right? Um, and this is the sort of essential insight behind, uh, well, behind FEC in general, but behind Raptor in particular. Raptor is, uh, is one of the ones that, we, uh, that has uh, really advanced the state of the art in this, uh, in this space. Um, it stands for Rapid Tornado. Uh, you know, fountain codes have been around for a long time. Uh, Reed Solomon was was one of the earlier ones, um, and and they're built on the same kind of principle. Where what you do is you uh, you construct a sort of series of things that can be combined to reproduce whatever the original was, and you just need enough of those of those things. And those things mm-hmm. basically, I stick one of those in each packet, so that. Now I can decide. Well, I'm going to support up to a, you know two percent loss or a five percent loss, and I just construct some extra packets and uh, and send those extra packets along. And then everybody who gets, you know, all the packets I sent minus up to five percent is going to be able to reproduce that original. Um, so if I take that a comparison, is is it like par two files in in, in Usenet binaries? Uh, or are you I don't familiar? Know. I didn't. Well, uh, well, it's a, it's, it's, well, if you download something on on, if you download a, a Linux ISO on Usenet, of course, no, only uh, legal stuff is on there. <laughs> um, if they, they pack a binary in in RAR files, uh, but usually sometimes data gets lost, so they also pack like ten to twenty percent extra uh, of data, and they put that into part two files. And uh, indeed, with if you have enough data and uh, some part of the part two files, you can repair, restore the whole file. And it sounds like this is a similar take, of course, with much smaller packet sizes, because it's just uh, packets that, that I need to repair or, or a few, like one or 2% packet loss, not like gigabytes of data that's lost. Um, uh, that sounds plausible. I, th- I would imagine it's, it's a similar technique, although I, I right. again, I haven't used it, so I'm not sure. Yeah, there's there's multiple examples. I think uh, RAID five, for example, would be. Uh, well, yeah, parity yeah. bits would also another be yeah. example. Yeah, parity bits are another example of it. Um, you know, Raptor is a little more complicated than that, and there uh, there are other uh, sort of approaches that that are similar. I, I don't think parity bits would do the job for <laughs> for what we're doing with multicast. Yeah. I suspect, um, but uh, but in some sense, it's it's the same. It's a very similar sort of technique. Yeah. Hmm. Now, the, the multicast is one solution, but what about, and I think that this has also already been deployed uh, in the world, even like Microsoft is already applying this on Windows. What about peer-to-peer? Yeah. Uh, so um, peer-to-peer is, uh, is another way that can help take the load off of servers. Um, again, this cannot really help with the access networks, right? Hmm. Um so you know we don't see it as 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 good a solution, um, and there's uh, we did actually look into this because it would be somewhat easier to deploy, yeah. um, but uh, but there are some uh, some challenges. Um, uh, it, you know, there's a lot of ISPs that aren't aren't that happy with the peer to peer. Uh, you have to be pretty cautious about exactly how you do it so that you uh, avoid damaging their network um, or you know causing more trouble than you're solving <laughs> on on other people's networks. Uh, and so in a lot of cases, the ISPs uh, don't want that traffic to be happening and would uh, where they see it would want to take steps to block it. 
Um, so that's another difference with the multicast solution that we're proposing. The way we intend to deliver things, it's a, it's an opt-in system so that um, for anything that that is sufficiently popular that we think it's worth spinning up a, a multicast uh, stream for it, um, then it's it's an opt-in system for us and for our ISP partners uh, who have you know who would sort of choose to pass that traffic, uh, and also for the content owners uh, who would you know choose to uh, to participate because some of them may have concerns over um, uh, especially while it's new uh, uh, over you know whether particular pieces of content should or should not be delivered. Uh, you know what we hope to do is sort of uh, evolve it until it's the until it's a good default, so that that would be like uh, ordinarily all content would be served that way, and we we think that this will uh, would be served with the option to fail over, to use multicast when it's available. So anything that becomes popular enough would sort of automatically start using multicast. Um, but it, you know that's that'll be a bit of a road to get there. Uh, and along the way, then yeah, there will be controls over over how exactly it gets used. Um, I mean, obviously, the content owners who are deploying the uh, you know the downloaders, and in many cases, the uh, the sort of uh, receive side software uh, would have to actively include something in order to make use of the multicast technology that will be uh, that will be sending. And we would like to get that standardized. At this point, it's not standardized uh, yet. Um, but you know, in the in the uh, far future, as as things shake out and as the delivery starts working, then we anticipate moving uh, most likely towards something that would uh, uh, that would ideally be interoperable with different kinds of uh, with different senders. Um, ultimately, what, what what would you say, uh, yeah. uh, Jake? Are the are the biggest, let's say, uh, roadblocks? In order to get there, uh, as we were, I think, already touching on a little bit, is that in order to uh, deploy end-to-end -end multicast, uh, especially if it's inter-AS, uh, you need to coordinate a lot, uh, especially with the, the service providers. How do you see, that? would AMT solve the problem or would we uh, still need to aim for native multicast or what, do you, what, what is your take on that? So AMT is a is a, a an important component of the solution we intend to deploy. Um, the way uh, um, so the way we the way we imagine this working is uh, is ISPs individually would decide to uh, to ingest multicast um, and to distribute it as multicast within their networks um, and. They can they can ingest to sort of a, a single point of entry and send it across their backbone, or they could ingest uh, at many different points within their network. And this is sort of basically the same uh, the same view as far as we're concerned. Where we what we're providing is access to the uh, to the unicast AMT stream, which contains the uh, the multicast packet stream. And then the ISP would be delivering that stream to their end users that have subscribed to it, right? Um, so we do think that it's a it's a critical component uh, of this uh, concept for the packets to be delivered by the ISPs as native multicast within their networks uh, in some form. So that what we're getting is ISP based um, duplication of the packets. 
uh, you know, as, as opposed to the, <laughs> this is one of the places where, um, where I, I don't always see eye to eye with Lenny. Uh, you know, Lenny's kind of take on this, uh, as he talked about before, um, is AMT uh, running in the end user device um, and therefore being able to, uh, to reach, reach content that's only available via multicast. And while, um, while that has some value, it doesn't have the value that we're looking for in terms of taking the load off, which is really the, the main value proposition for multicast in general. Um, because when you're running AMT in the end user's device, then what you're doing is receiving a unicast stream that contains multicast packets, right? And that unicast stream is sent, is sent over, you know, over that ISP's network, and it's defeating the entire purpose of having it in multicast in the first place, right? The way, the way uh, we tend to look at it, uh, you know, the way I tend to look at it is more like there's no such thing as multicast content. What you have is content. And you know, to some extent, you have maybe popular content or content that many people are trying to use at once. And that's a, that content is a candidate for delivering efficiently with multicast, but it's not something that's inherently available only with multicast. Anything that's popular, they, you know, the content owner who's trying to distribute it, they need to get it out, and they will do it by whatever means is available, right? Favoring efficient things, sure, but uh, you know, as long as it works well. But it's really the the content drives the need to do it efficiently. It's not that that there are things that are worth distributing uh, that will be distributed only by multicast that you can get by unicast where multicast is not available. You know, in some sense, anybody who's who's trying to distribute something for real is is, in my opinion, uh, going to be doing it by the by the sort of easiest method uh, that they can get it out to everybody. Um, so this is, uh, you know, we do think it's very important for the, for the multicast to, to be delivered with packet replication in the ISP networks, but we're using AMT for ingest into the networks so that, um, so that it comes into the network as, uh, as sort of unicast encapsulated multicast and then gets to fan out from there according to what, you know, the right kind of network architecture, if that makes sense. So. Yeah, so with, with AMT, you basically work around the fact that you don't need inter-AS multicast then. Uh, Correct, know, yeah. That's, and stuff. The, that's the way we're, we're primarily using this and what we're trying to do with it. So to that end, um, there was an RFC, it's uh, 8777, that, uh, that defines a way to, uh, to look up the, uh, it's called Dryad, it's DNS reverse IP uh, uh, or discovery, Shoot, now I can't even remember my own draft. <laughs> uh, discovery of uh, reverse IP AMT for multicast. I forget. Anyway, uh, it's 8777. And what it will do is, based on the source IP address, you can look up the right, uh, the right way. You know, you can look up the relay that's going to give you the source for an SG that you're trying to join. Right, so this relay that that it, you can advertise now just through the DNS uh, will will be something that the sender knows about. So the owner of that source IP address that that is the SG that you're trying to consume traffic from, that sender knows about the the AMT relays that they're going to be that that are capable of delivering traffic from 
that sender. And so what you do as an ISP that's trying to ingest that traffic, you know, you've had a, a, a set of users that have asked to receive traffic from an SG. And so what you do is you uh, get to look up in the DNS, um, where should I connect to the relay that can send me, uh, that can send me that traffic. And then, and then you know where to open that tunnel. Um, right. so that, that's been published and, and we have uh, a prototype and this is, um, this is the sort of uh, core of the of the prototype that uh, that our ISP partners are trying to evaluate right now in the trials that we're running uh, to sort of evaluate the technology and the architecture that we're proposing. So that so that overcomes one uh, issue, I would say, in in this deployment. So, but then you assume that the ISP has a multicast capable network to access. Well, only ISPs that that are interested in doing multicast. Uh, transport right. would have any reason to ingest from our <laughs> AMP relays, of course. Yeah, we would. We do think that. Um, well, we we think it's only going to happen where it makes sense for the ISP, right? Exactly. So we're trying yeah. to make this uh, this uh, you know that, and that's going to make sense only where um, where we're delivering content that is uh, uh, popular enough that it's going to make a dent. Um, mm -hmm. And so this is this is sort of the trajectory we're trying to get down, so that we can um, we will be able to deliver these large events that way, and ISPs can use this traffic to to take the load off of themselves. Yeah. Um, and and there, like there are a lot of ISPs that use multicast today for their own TV services, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. In many yeah. cases, they would be able to use that same you know that same sort of multicast infrastructure. Uh, and not necessarily have to do a whole lot to their network to make it okay to use the network uh, mm -hmm. to deliver external traffic. They just need to know enough about the external traffic to to uh, make sure that it's actually safe to deliver within their network. Right? That it's not yeah. going to sort of overload their uh, you know their bandwidth allocations for it or anything. And these are some of the other specs that we're working on now. Yeah, no, because I think this is uh, why I was asking is is because I don't want this to become the next IPv6, right? That it's that it's what's yeah. what's the business case behind it, right? And that's it has to be compelling for an ISP to to start supporting this. But like you said, they have overloaded access areas. They have if you have already have an IPTV offering, it's probably going to be based on multicast already. So then it makes it very easy to to support this. Uh, relatively easy, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's the intent. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and and uh, yeah. So there there are some challenges with it, though, right? Um, and and these challenges are what we're trying to address in the in the drafts that we have active right now that are working towards becoming RFCs. And that and that's this is also a key part of what we're trying to evaluate in the uh, in the trials that we're uh, mm. that we're ongoing now. Um, so. I guess uh, one of the key parts that the uh, that the ISP is involved in, or that that's uh, critical for the ISP, is like I said, understanding what bandwidth uh, you're going to be ingesting if you if you subscribe to a channel, um, you know, and not necessarily you know one channel at a time, but the aggregate of the channels. Right? There's a big difference between signing up for a you know a gigabit stream versus a hundred megabit stream versus a ten megabit stream. You know, versus a, a hundred gigabit stream, right? Like, and you don't know what it is just from the SG. Um, so this is the uh, there's a, a spec we're we're working on now. It's a draft uh, headed towards RFC. It's been adopted by the MBOND working group 
and that's called uh, uh, CBAC, which is Circuit Breaker Assisted Congestion Control. And uh, what it does is publish the metadata about the um, about the bandwidth that an SG would use. That's uh, again available in a discoverable way, just based on knowing the SG and having had someone request it. So you can you know find out this metadata before you decide to allow that traffic onto your network. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's one of the things we're trying to do to make sure the the safety story is is ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, um, there's also the authentication story, uh, which is built on the same uh, on the same system. Uh, both of these are built on a um, uh, you know a, a restconf based uh, uh, HTTP API that uh, that we can extend by just uh, you know. It, the nice thing about RestConf is you get this nice, uh, you know, Yang-based um, uh, HTTP API where all you have to do is publish the data model, and now you've published like what all the messages are that go back and forth with this uh, with this HTTP API. Um, and by making it discoverable based on the SG that you're using, in the same way that we did for Dryad, essentially. Um, then uh, you can you can provide a pretty rich set of resources that can be associated with the SG that you're trying to um, that you're trying to ship. So the in addition to the CBAC that provides the bandwidth information and a bunch of guidance about uh, how you should make the circuit breaking decisions, um, there, we're also publishing a uh, a authentication scheme that's based on um, uh, that's based on providing cryptographically uh, cryptographic hashes of the pack of the data packets that are being shipped. So these cryptographic hashes need to be authenticated, uh, which there's a, a few different ways to, to do the authentication, one of them being just send them over a secured unicast tunnel. But now you're doing unicast only for the hashes of your data packets, not for the entire data packets. And now as a receiver or as the network that's doing the ingest, you can verify that the packets that you're receiving are the packets that the sender actually sent, because you have a whole chain of trust proving that the, uh, that the data packets that uh, are part of the stream are uh, are the correct authentic packets that were that the sender sent. Would, would that also solve like the, the sorry? <laughs> would that also solve the like the, the DRM issue that you that you have with the content because you don't want anybody watching a certain sports game, uh, of course, so that you have to pay for. So actually, no. But the DRM system can be built on top of. Uh, <laughs> actually, we're not we're not touching the DRM system. So what we're doing is is uh, is for our video offering. Uh, we actually have a product that that uh, does video over multicast already. That that's used in walled garden deployments uh, today. Um, this is part of our uh, licensed CDN offering. Um, but uh, but we're, we've adapted that to run over um, over the AMT tunnels and to send to receivers that would sort of just uh, interpret it the same way. But the way it works is it does reliable transport of segmented data. So what you're doing is you're just playing in a regular Dash or HLS player. And the segments you're receiving are, uh, are reliably built in, in much the same way as, uh, as delivery over unicast or something, so, um, or over HTTPS or something. So what you end up with is a segment that's exactly bit for bit identical to the segment that was, uh, that was sent by the receiver. And that can be encrypted, and, and the DRM system can decrypt it with the, the regular key distribution channels that they have. Uh, so it's just the transport of the segments. 
Yeah, exactly. I was wanting to, to say uh, it, it sounds more like you're trying to make it easier for service providers to adopt uh, and, and, and start deploying multicast uh, or intra-domain uh, multicast. Uh, yeah, that's what, I mean, what it, it has sounds to, to me be easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and 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 secure, etc. Um, but yeah, yeah, okay. Well, the one of the other uh, big pieces we're doing to try and get the the um, the receiver delivery uh, story straightened out is um, is the 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 project we're calling is multicast to the browser. Um, so we're trying to do a W three C API that can do native multicast receive. And for receiving content in a browser, it's going to have to be authenticated. Uh, this is another one of the reasons that we had that we uh, that we wanted to do Ambi, even though most multicast that's done today doesn't have authentication baked into it uh, usually. But um, but we think it's going to be very important for uh, for deployment inside a browser because we know you know obviously most web pages are malicious, right? Um, so. <laughs> Uh, not necessarily most web pages you visit, but most web pages on the internet. <laughs> in right? general, yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, so it's going to have to be um, uh, secure enough to to run in a browser context in order for that to be deployed. Uh, but that's uh, what that would do is it would make it uh, possible to do the widespread uh, receiver deployment because it would just be visiting a web page and and having the browser have uh, have that. Uh, API available, um, so we're working on that uh, as well uh, as part of this uh, as part of this trial. We do have cool. a binary that runs and plays our video uh, today, and and our ISP partners are, you know, kicking that around now. Yeah. So all the work that you are doing for this is that uh, is is there any pr- proprietary things in there, or is everything uh, IETF work and, and open sourced? Uh, open sourced so the open standard. Yeah, we have not uh, published the the transport pro- the application layer transport protocols that we're using. Um, you know, I'll say that they're based on Raptor and they're uh, and they're you know similar to Flute, but they're they are not actually Flute at this time. Um, so uh, it, we we have not published those. Uh, we we may or may not end up publishing them, or maybe moving over to something that's. Uh, it's actually Flute, which is already a published uh, protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, you know, the 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 concept is very similar, but that part of it is not yet done. So this, uh, so the way we have it today, uh, the receive side is essentially a proprietary SDK, and the the sending side is still a proprietary piece. But all the rest of it, um, the you know, uh, and, and I, I would say that's more a matter of like how much time we put into it than a matter of like a principled stand. Like we think it's more important to have a widely deployable service than it is to like keep our secret sauce on, on these uh, pieces as secret sauce. Right. I don't think we're adding a whole lot of delivery value by keeping it secret. It's just, we haven't gotten around to publishing it at this time and we're not sure we'll publish it in the form that it is. Yeah, I was just um, thinking you, you may you may be able to create like this network effect, right? That that because you share that knowledge, more CDNs adopt it, more ISPs will adopt it and can use it not just for Akamai traffic, but also for your your colleague CDN uh, traffic that they that they ingest. So it, yeah, it's, yeah, that's you, that's certainly you, possible. But at the same time, there are several competing systems already. Yeah. Um, so we think there's already some 
some of this network effect that that we could expect to see. Um, certainly, there's things like RTP that uh, that are defined with uh, with the ability to use multicast already. Um, there are uh, a number of different uh, proprietary protocols that uh, that several essentially of the IPTV solutions uh, are using today. Right, so mm-hmm. all those things we think could start just plugging into the same kind of system. They would need to stand up a you know a dorm server with the CBAC metadata and uh, and do the authentication. But those parts are all IETF open standards and could be done by anybody. They'll have to deliver, you know, they'll have to, um, you know, distribute their client applications that can do the joins. But uh, from the ISP's point of view, that is all somebody else's problem, right? The ISP just has to get those, you know, be able to support the concept of, uh, hey, there's a bunch of receivers trying to receive this SG and, you know, turn that into a stream of packets being to de- delivered to those receivers. And as long as they're willing to do that, then there are uh, there are like I don't know eight ish different uh, different already existing uh, streams of packets that would work, and we think that that's um, a pretty good. That's kind of why we wanted to plug in there. Like if we tried to pick the one true transport protocol today, um, then it would we think it would be a smaller network effect than being able to get. Like just generic UDP delivered as multicast right. today, uh, so that's and, and I I do expect that you know in the fullness of time you'll end up with some standardized transport protocols that everybody lands on, maybe like two or three of them, but I don't think it's going to be the eight that there are today. Uh, but having it open enough that any old UDP can do it, regardless of whether it's proprietary, what it means is that. Well, for one thing, we don't have to take another extra year trying to get our proprietary thing published properly, or changing over our existing uh, implementations to use uh, to use something that's already an open standard like Flute. But it also means that other people can jump in sooner. Yeah, that's actually great. I think this is a great way to yeah continue to the next level of, of video streaming, especially because you're addressing that problem that you have in the access uh, area yeah. where you actually reach the consumers. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and and, 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 yeah. and I want to say it's not just the video streaming. Like in addition to the <laughs> software delivery we've been talking about, there's there's like emerging uh, problems in like the VR space as well. Uh, being able to deliver things like point clouds that are a three D model, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's not just video, and those codecs aren't even fleshed out yet. And there's not a whole lot of uh, you know standardization in that space for what's going to be inside the packets that are delivered when you're trying to do that over a network so uh, you know just being more open in that space means that it, it can apply to a lot more use cases is what we ended up uh, cool. deciding there yeah but yeah I, I totally agree <laughs> this is you know it's an exciting thing to be working on honestly it's uh, I feel like it's it's one of those things whose time has really come uh, and and it's it's nice to be a part of, of trying to make it happen. Although you know, there's there's hills to climb along the way. I think uh, <laughs> so. Can pe- Jay? Can people? No, uh, sorry. Go, go ahead, ahead, Rick. Is it possible for people to uh, help out? Do you need work done in the ITF? Do you need work done in prototyping? Uh, oh God, yeah. ISPs reaching uh, out to you or something? Can we do a, like a shout out? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Um, uh, Let's see. There, there's a bunch of pieces of this that, that 
uh, are published. Many of them are in my GitHub repos. That's in uh, um, I'm Grumpy Old Troll on GitHub. Um, <laughs> and so uh, the, <laughs> the, the key ones um, are probably the, uh, the multicast ingest platform. Um, that's, that's a, uh, a sort of, uh, that, that's essentially the, um, the piece that the ISPs are trying out for how the ingest happens. Um, and that's using, uh, uh, AMT and FRR for the sample network that were, uh, that, that I have plugged in there, but you can plug it into your own network. So getting more evaluations of this stuff, uh, would be great. Um, there's, uh, the the uh, uh, the Chromium uh, implementation of the browser API I think is going to need a lot more work and the Ambi stuff in particular for that uh, will need a lot of work um, and right now that lives just in my repo but we're we're working on trying to get a dev trial started with uh, with Chromium uh, you know but I sure love to have like a, a Firefox implementation of this also or or WebKit. Um, that would be uh, that would be working uh, in addition. Um, I'm trying to build these on top of a uh, what I've called libmcrx, which is multicast receive uh, rx being received. So it's libmcrx that um, that's uh, designed to be a cross-platform uh, source-specific multicast receive side library um, that can sort of encapsulate. You know there are some some challenges with different uh, platforms supporting different APIs for how the multicast joins work. Uh, so I'm trying to put all of that into libmcrx and then also extend that uh, library to have support for the things like Ambi and and um, uh, maybe Seaback uh, for some of the checks that you'd want to have on the receive side to make sure that the traffic you're getting. Uh, is is uh, authenticated before passing it into the application that's trying to receive it, so that that can be sort of uh, uh, have a its own good solid implementation that's um, that everybody can use, or that at least anybody who wants to can use. There can be other implementations of it as well. Um, I'm certainly also you know feedback on the drafts would be wonderful. Uh, people who can you know get on the Mbundi mailing list and and take a look at those drafts and send. Uh, send reviews and comments and uh, you know things that you think are are good and bad uh, about the way they're they're designed and structured uh, would be uh, uh, you know super helpful for showing interest in in these things and and uh, uh, and for you know just um, tightening up the specs and the the way things are implemented so that it will, it will be successful in the end. Um, Oh God, I could probably go on for, for some time, but you know that's that's plenty to get started. Certainly, you can reach out to me if you if you want to get going with more of that. Um, you know, there's there's stuff in the AMT relay and the and the AMT gateway implementations that I've been using that could use some work. And, I mean, there's there's all kinds of stuff to do if you can. Jake, do it. Rick, Rick was hoping to uh, hear. We're almost done. <laughs> Yeah. When can I get it? That was my. Hi, <laughs> uh, you know, you start typing. You could have stuff running in your house today. <laughs> I mean, it, really, if you set up the multicast ingest platform, I have some instructions for like how to set up a sample network that that can mm. uh, that can you know connect a few FRR instances and do a sort of your own little PIM thing. I've got two of these running in my house, you know, and then you you plug a. a a, uh, an ingest platform in next to it. 
I have it all running on like rinky dink little uh, hundred dollar, <laughs> you know, mini computer boxes for sampling. I mean, that stuff all works fine for for doing a, a couple of flows and uh, and checking it out. But it, you know, you could certainly run um, run some small scale stuff with just very tiny uh, implementations uh, or, or very tiny cool. uh, boxes. The the hardware support is not. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to get um, to get something out of it for uh, you know right. just a few. Yeah, streams. we can if if you have, we can share some links in uh, in the uh, in the comments um, for folks who want to um, want to read yeah, more. That'd be great. Um, final question: When should we check back in? Because we now sort of wrapping up this uh, three episodes of um, scaling the internet and, and solving uh, issues with multicast. Um, when do you think we should check back in to see where we are? Um, uh, have we solved all scaling issues? Sure. <laughs> well, million um, so I'm not going to be done solving all the scaling <laughs> issues this year, probably, but I will be, uh, so let's see the trials that we've got ongoing right now, we've extended, uh, into Q1 because of the sort of level of interest that we had. Uh, there was uh, a little more than we expected, so we had to, you know, uh, uh, extend things out a bit. Um, as the as the Chromium stuff uh, comes together, you know, if I had um, enough of a of a uh, of an Ambi implementation kind of up and ready, um, that that we could do it. Uh, I mean, as a stretch goal, I'd love to have that running in July or so, but realistically it might take as long as next year before I can start an origin trial, uh, uh, you know, next year this time. Um, but, uh, with, with Chromium, uh, and the more we can get going, the better, um, we should, well, I guess I should say at this point, there's a chance that we will you know, hear back from our trial partners that, uh, that this is not practical for them and that there, there's too many hoops that they'll need to jump through and that we would, you know, put this on a shelf or not go ahead with a production deployment, uh, at this stage, but depending how that goes, you know, I, I think it's, it's, uh, looking pretty positive for a decent chance that we will sort of, um, dig in on this and, and make this, uh, and commit to making this into a production system. Um, I wouldn't expect the the actual like, you know, everything's there in in the real Chrome browser. Uh, if we if we do go down that path, then I'm guessing it will be like two and a half or maybe uh, maybe as much as three years before it's like there in a Chromium release. But at that point, it would be, um, or I should say, a Chrome release is is what I'd like to see. Uh, you know, and I, I can't promise even that. Um, but, uh, but that's where I, that's where I kind of see this going. And once it's there, it can really start taking off in, in earnest. Um, but, uh, uh, up until that point, we would be, uh, exploring origin trials and trying to get things, uh, you know, the more the merrier in terms of, um, playing with it and, and, uh, moving it along, um, so I, I guess that's the the rough timeline I'd have in mind. Uh, I would hope that by the time we've got that level of of uh, deployment in the browser, that we would be starting to that we would also be running production traffic from our 
from our CDN uh, for some serious uh, things, uh, <laughs> you know, events of, of various kinds. Um, but again, this is with something that complicated, it, it can be hard to predict and, and there can be roadblocks along the way. But I would say, uh, you know, we, we should know within six months, whether this is, has got enough legs to, uh, to really bite into it for real. And if we do bite into it for real, then, uh, then I would expect to see real traffic. Uh, within three years, uh, ideally less, but you know, <laughs> you never know. All right, sounds good. So we'll be back in uh, in in maybe a year or in three years, but uh, uh, we'll get back with a with a check. Yeah, I'd, <laughs> I'd love to check in and, and give a, more of an update. You can also just keep an eye on the MBND working group. I, I uh, contribute there uh, quite frequently, and we'll be delivering updates there. So. Anybody who wants the up to the quarter uh, reports should should watch that. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, Jake, thank you very much. Um, it was a, it was a pleasure having you and and hearing what you're what you're working on. And um, yes, this, this discussed will definitely um, uh, check back in uh, in in the future to see um, uh, where you are and uh, uh, what the uh, what the next steps were. Excellent. Um, so thank you very much. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me. It was, uh, it was great to be here and, and good to talk to you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, suggestions, feel free to reach out either via the website routingtable.cloud or send Rick or myself an email. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.